and welcome to Macrobytes, the economics and politics podcast series from Aberdeen. And indeed, welcome back after our summer break. My name is Luke Bartholomew, and I'm joined by James McCann, our Deputy Chief Economist at Aberdeen, to discuss some of the important market and macro developments we've seen over the summer whilst we've been away, and also to look forward to um, some important policy meetings from the Fed, US elections, and what all that means for our forecasts. So James, as I sort of alluded to there in my opening comments, it has been quite an eventful summer whilst we've been away. As the, as the sporting commentators say, I think for a lot of markets, it's been a tale of, of two halves in that we had this quite strong market performance for the early summer, and then there's been this quite sharp reversal in, in recent weeks. And I think our sense is that a lot of that has to do with changing perceptions over what the US Federal Reserve is going to do, what the course of monetary policy is going to be like. So perhaps a good place to start is for you to sort of just run us through sort of some of those changing perceptions and why that's had such a, a large consequence for markets. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that analogy with the two halves is, is quite an, a nice one. So let's start with, with the first half, perhaps. And I think the perception in markets through the early period of the summer was one in which perhaps some of the aggressiveness of the Fed's tightening cycle was starting to fade, and perhaps some of the data was starting to come more in line with what we might hope to see with regards to a soft landing. And so this picture starting to evolve in markets in which perhaps a less aggressive Fed means that we can get through this inflation shock without necessitating a recession over the near term or even the, the next one to two years, let's say. I think what was driving that, first of all, was, you know, first of all, communication from, from the Fed. I think the Fed was pretty open that having done 75 basis point hikes, a really extraordinarily you know, rapid increase in interest rate, we've become very used to the fine tuning of 25 basis points, that it might be soon appropriate, especially as policy moves through neutral, uh, where policy is not really having a big effect on the economy and towards tight, where it's actively slowing the economy, that they could potentially start moving in, in smaller steps. And I think markets took that as a signal, if not of a pivot, but perhaps a little bit less aggressiveness from, from the Fed. And then the second point, certainly we saw energy prices start to fall, and that was very apparent in, in what we saw from, from, from the inflation data, particularly weak headline inflation numbers, even if there's been a bit more heat in the underlying inflation dynamics still, and some slightly better labor market data, still not signs of a significant cooling, but you know a little bit more in terms of workers coming back and looking for jobs and moderation in hiring, perhaps not quite as aggressive increases in, in pay. So I think the market's extrapolated this and thought, you know, maybe that path that the Fed's able to, to tread whereby it slows the economy enough to cool inflation without necessitating a downturn, maybe that became more likely in the market's eyes. And, you know, hence we got this quite significant rally and easing in financial conditions. And then since that rally, we've had quite a sharp turnaround. And I think it seems clear that the trigger for that was a speech that Chair Powell made at Jackson Hole, this big gathering of central bankers that occurs every year. And he gave this keynote speech as he normally does. And markets typically watch these speeches very closely because they tend to be market moving and as it proved this year. So what was it that Powell said that was so significant for markets in this speech? 
I think Powell really reaffirmed the Fed's very, very strong focus uh, on inflation and its you know, really aggressive commitment to bringing inflation back to target. It, you know, in the past, the Fed has perhaps put some of the blame on inflation on factors outside of its control, things like energy prices, things like supply chain blockages, et cetera. Here, the Fed was more openly saying, this is on us, essentially. It's up to us to deliver price stability. We're not waiting for some of these blockages to iron out of the global economy. It's up, it's up to us to take the steps that are necessary to get inflation back towards 2% on a sustainable basis. And I think a bit of an acknowledgement, too, that that might be a relatively bumpy process, or at least there might be some degree of, of pain intrinsic in, in that adjustment. Still, you're not forecasting a recession at the Fed, but this sense by which that their tolerance to go through a degree of economic pain to hit that inflation target is there. The underlying message that yeah, price stability is cr- critical for the health of the economy, so we'll do what it takes to restore price stability. So I think that message came through very strongly. And to be honest, it, it wasn't a huge surprise from you know, for, for ourselves. We had thought that some of this you know, interpretation of the Fed going slower, maybe leading to a pivot, maybe leading to easier financial conditions had perhaps been a little bit overblown in markets. And I think, you know, in part, what the Fed was doing was reacting to the market's interpretation of that earlier communication and saying, hey, no, I think you've maybe taken this a little bit too far and we're still very committed to doing what it takes to get inflation back on track. Now, of course, Fed communication is extremely important, as you described there. But I suppose, ultimately, for policy to have credibility, not only does the Fed have to talk the talk, but they also have to to walk the walk. And I guess, as we're sitting here today, we're on the verge of uh, another Federal Reserve policy meeting where there's quite a lot of debate about what kind of interest rate increase they're going to push through? Is it going to be 75 basis points? Is it going to be 50 basis points? How does that line up with what Powell was saying at Jackson Hole? So so what's our take on what we expect from this next meeting? Yeah, always, you know, there's been increasing uncertainty around on-the-day decisions at, at Fed meetings. That's a feature that we've seen in this post-COVID environment. Yeah, I think if you'd have asked this question a couple of months ago, the conditions might have been in place for the Fed maybe to, to go slightly slower and do, do 50 basis points. You know, certainly some of those inflation data had been a little bit better, the labor market data too. But I think a combination of factors. First, I think this perhaps unwanted easing in financial conditions is something that the Fed wants to stand firm against. And so I think that will make them a little bit more aggressive today. And secondly, I think perhaps the latest inflation report that came out last week, when we dig beneath the surface of that more modest headline increase, some of the details when we strip out energy price effects were really actually pretty alarming. So, you know, I think that's another wake up call and reminder and consistent with the Fed's message that it will do what it takes to stop inflation. And I think what it takes is maybe a bit a bit more tightening. So, you know, it seems that 75 basis points today is, is the most likely move. And, you know, to reiterate, this is a really unprecedented pace of, of, of monetary tightening. If we go back just a few years, the post financial crisis environment, the Fed would tighten almost every other meeting, maybe. That's almost you know, nine months worth of tightening or so in, in the space of one meeting. So it's really aggressive steps up and reflects, I think, how seriously the Fed is facing these inflation challenges. So as you say, this has been a really quite aggressive pace of tightening by the Fed, I think more rapid than we had been expecting. 
And regular listeners remember that a big part of our forecast for a while now has been that we think the US economy is going to go into a recession next year. And crucially, the reason that it's going to do so is because monetary policy has to tighten so much to deliver uh, financial and price stability to bring uh, inflation back down to target that that ends up causing a recession. Now, given that we're now forecasting a much or and indeed have seen a much more rapid t- tightening in policy from, from the Fed. What does that mean for our forecast around US recession? It makes us more concerned. I think the combination of a very aggressive Fed and already I think signs on the ground that we're seeing some impact of, of that tightening. I think the combination of that you know, makes us more concerned about the US outlook. And we had factored in a recession taking place perhaps later on in, in 2023. You know, in our latest forecast, we've brought that forward. We now expect that to occur around the middle of next year. Um, this is always an inexact science. So, you know, we wouldn't want to be providing spurious accuracy about exactly when that, that downturn does start. But certainly if we look at the loss of momentum over the course of this year already, particularly in the housing sector, but also in the aggregate economic statistics, even if we might question the, the degree of the slowdown that's that's captured in official GDP data. You know, I think that's one reason to be worried. And then we we really do think the policy is already pushing, you know, tight. I think this is already having a quite a significant effect on on the economy. And I think a further move into very tight policy settings is just something that would increasingly feel, albeit with some lag. So as we get into early 2023, I think we'll be really, really seeing that bite on you know, a number of parts of parts of the economy, perhaps you know, consumer durable goods demand, sections of business investment, you know, residential investment is already very weak. So, you know, I think this does make us, us fear that that downturn we have been anticipating, if anything, will come a little sooner. So we've talked a lot about the monetary policy aspect and what that means for our forecasts, coming even more concerned about the recession and potentially well bringing forward the timing of when it starts as well. But there's also been some important developments on the fiscal policy front as well in terms of government spending and taxation over the summer. The Biden administration passed um, the Inflation Reduction Act, a quite significant piece of legislation. So, James, you want to talk us through sort of what this legislation does and what the implications are of that for the economy as well? Yeah, I mean, I think the the first thing to know about the Inflation Reduction Act is that it probably won't have much of an impact on inflation. This was a a canny piece of marketing. Um, I think there there is an inherent truth behind it, and it won't make the the situation worse. The package of of environmental measures, healthcare measures, essentially is fully financed by tax increases and greater uh, greater tax collection powers at, at the IRS. So this is what we call budget neutral. So you know, we're not seeing a big stimulus um, through this package, which, which would make inflation worse. So you know, from an inflation perspective, you know, we don't think this reduces inflation, but equally it doesn't, it doesn't make it worse. You know, I think when we cut though into the details of this package, that's where things get you know, really, really quite interesting. You know, it's quite an extensive and significant uh, collection of environmental policy measures, acting, adding up to nearly 400 billion over the next 10 years or so in energy tax credits, but also spending measures aimed at reducing US emissions. You know, projections around the actual impact on that are highly uncertain, but do suggest a fairly significant reduction in US emissions over that period, albeit not in line with those um, with the Paris Accord agreement. So 
a major win on the on the environmental front, but still more to do. And then further legislation within the within the, the Inflation Reduction Act aimed at boosting healthcare spending, particularly around these, these subsidies on the Affordable Care Act. So a fairly significant expansion or extension of the expansion of those of those subsidies for the next two to three years. It will be financed by taxes predominantly falling on larger companies um, book income um, with a new minimum tax uh, and there's also funding for the IRS which has been underfunded for a long period of time which should help increase tax collection so from a macro perspective if not boring the taxes you know, we, we think the IRA the inflation reduction act is is relatively neutral really a lot going on though underneath the surface be it on the healthcare side be it on the environmental side or equally on the corporate tax side so you know i think there's a lot there's a lot in it even if it doesn't move the needle particularly in, in terms of our headline forecasts so for all the bits and starts that the biden um legislative agenda has had over the last couple of years i suppose what the ira uh, being passed brings home is that when the Democrats control both the White House and both houses of Congress, legislation can be passed and significant legislation at that that does have important market moving implications. Now, of course, we have midterm elections coming up in the US that could quite fundamentally change that dynamic in that it's quite plausible that at least one of the houses of Congress falls to the Republicans. So I mean, what are we seeing in terms of the, the run up to the election and some of the most likely outcomes around that? So we're seeing something of a, a Democrat renaissance in, in the polls. We know that going into these elections, the risk for the incumbent party, particularly with a president in the White House and controlling both houses of Congress, is that you get some degree of, of voter backlash. That's what we tend to see historically around incumbent suffering at the first round of, of midterms. And we know there's significant concern around a number of really tangible issues, not least inflation pressures in the US. So, you know, I'd say a few months ago, Democrats were feeling very pessimistic. I think maybe they're feeling a little bit more optimistic now, you know, particularly as they start to see elements of their voter base energized around issues like Roe versus Wade, etc. But also progress such as the Inflation Reduction Act, which shows what a united Democrat Congress can do in terms of delivering on some of their core policy priorities. Despite though that renaissance, you know, I think I'd, I'd agree, it looks really hard for them to, to hold both the House and the Senate. You know, the Senate, given the races that are on the line and the candidates that are coming through on that, looks a little bit of a, a toss up. That's certainly going to be very, very close again. But I think the House is a big reach. The Democrats, you know, face a very challenging map in terms of the seats there that are up for, for re election. I think the overwhelming majority is, is probability is that they probably lose the House. So, you know, that that unity that they've enjoyed with the White House and Congress and the, the things that they've been able to do, the American Rescue Plan for better or for worse, the Inflation Reduction Act, you know, those types of big ticket legislation are unlikely to be to be, I guess, um, you know, on the cards in a split Congress. It's not impossible that, that Biden can wrangle something out of out of a split Congress entirely. So, you know, he, he did manage to pass something on infrastructure with the help of, of Republicans. They managed to pass the CHIPS Act as well recently with, with the help of Republicans. So the legislative agenda might not be dead entirely, but I think big ticket pieces of legislation which meet core Democrat priorities just, you know, in that environment probably look very, very challenging. So outside of those um, sort of big ticket items that meet democratic priorities. 
What about something like a stimulus package? We've talked um, already about the fact that we're expecting the US economy to go into a recession next year. What hope of fiscal policy pulling its weight to support the economy in that backdrop if we do have divided government in that way? Yeah, I think that's a really, a really good question. I think you know, we do tend to see in the depths of recession policymakers feel the need to, to do something, even across, across policy lines. But I think there are reasons to suspect that the path there might be challenging and that the size of the stimulus might be smaller than, than we might have hoped. One, because I suppose incentives for Republicans are not necessarily to, to juice the economy ahead of the next round of elections in 2024. Two, that... Um, uh, the experience of the most recent fiscal stimulus, the American Rescue Plan, also generated a lot of inflation potentially. So there's some perhaps degree of concern about overheating in the economy following these types of these types of stimuluses. And in three, just this ideological differences in terms of how you should support demand, be it through tax cuts or spending increases, etc. So. You know, I, I wouldn't write off their ability if, if there is a deep recession to, to do something, but my suspicion is that it wouldn't be you know, as powerful or long-lasting as, as, we might, as we might hope. And you know, that's one reason to maybe think that the recovery will be less pronounced than we saw during the COVID period, although that's obviously quite a different environment too because you had the closing opening dynamic as well. Super. So one final question, which hopefully pulls together some of the strands that we've been talking about. Obviously, there's a lot of talk at the moment, including by us, about the Fed continuing to tighten policy. That's very much going to be the agenda this upcoming Fed meeting and indeed for, for the rest of the year. But given that we're forecasting this recession and given that the prospects of fiscal policy doesn't look hugely encouraging, albeit that there might be some things that can be, can be wrangled out, what, what does that mean for the outlook for monetary policy? Uh, in the in the medium term after we're through this sort of you know hiking period to deal with inflation yeah i mean i get i guess then the argument would be more of the weight falls once again on on central banks to to deliver the recovery and that was definitely the the environment we were in post financial crisis for almost a, a decade and during which you know interest rates were stuck pretty firmly for many years at the lower bound and the fed did many rounds of asset purchases of course you know we're not forecasting that type of financial crisis style recession we do think this will be a more normal business cycle recession but still when we try and factor in what an appropriate monetary policy response would be based on you know how deep we expect that recession to prove the rollover effects on the labor market what we expect from inflation on a sort of a medium term horizon we actually you know it sounds a long way away now but we think inflation won't just fall back to target we think during the recession and after it will fall below target as we start to see you know a significant weakness in the labor market some retrenchment in in the price increases that we saw during the during during recent months and, and quarters so when we put that all together we do actually think the policy will be cut quite significantly and probably reach the lower bound maybe as soon as the end of, of 2024 which you know as we talk about interest rate hikes today and 75 basis point interest rate hikes that feels like a really big swing but i think it is consistent with an economy in which you know you you have a degree of overheating you need to pop that bubble so to speak by through tighter policy but then you know faced with an economy in which unemployment is you know significantly higher prices are coming in in sequential terms, you know, below what the Fed thinks is sustainable, 
for its 2% target, it needs to, to shift relatively quickly and get policy loose again. So, you know, this cycle has been has been turbocharged since since 2020. And I guess this would be a continuation of that very, very rapid run through of, of business cycle dynamics and central bank tightening and loosening, um, and loosening uh, flows. Super. Well, on that image of the turbocharged cycle, and it really does feel quite cyclical that, you know, within the course of one conversation, we can be talking about a huge hiking cycle and then a huge cutting cycle we we will leave it there so all that remains for me to do is, is to thank james for his excellent contributions today and to thank you all for listening to macrobytes please do subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform of choice and we look forward to speaking to you again soon so thanks very much for listening and good luck out there This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for informational purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen. The companies discussed in this podcast have been selected for illustrative purposes only or to demonstrate our investment management style and not as an investment recommendation or indication of their future performance. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns, return projections or estimates and provide no guarantee of future results.